Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Psalm 87. Of the sons of Korah, a psalm, a song. He has founded his city on the holy mountain. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the other dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are said of you, city of God. I will record Rahab and Babylon among those who acknowledge me. Philistia too, and Tyre along with Cush, and will say, this one was born in Zion. Indeed, of Zion it will be said, this one and that one were born in her and the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord will write in the register of the peoples, this one was born in Zion. As they make music, they will sing, all my fountains are in you. Let us pray that as Monty comes to preach on this psalm, that our hearts will be open to your word, Lord, and to what you have to teach to us today uh, through this time together in your word. Amen. Hello, everyone. Um, folks sort of, when I come here, thank me for, for coming and thank me for sharing. Can I genuinely say that it is, it is a privilege, and I want to thank you. I want to thank Steve and Leanne and the team for inviting me. I want to thank you for your welcome. It's actually always an honor, but a real honor to do it today on this quite historic day for you guys. Uh, and as you know, I work uh, all over Europe with students, and it's really great to have a couple of communities that I feel quite connected with, obviously my home church in Belfast, but also here, uh, and see what God is doing in the local level and keeps me rooted, um, and um, it just brings joy to my heart to see what, what's happening here. And whenever I was given the psalm, I was thinking, my goodness, that's an odd one. Uh, wow, okay, well, it's not one I've ever preached on before. Uh, that's a good discipline, that's okay. Uh, what on earth do we say about this? And I belong to the generation where at secondary school we sang a hymn at assembly when we were all together. And I, you know, I'm sure 99% of, the, of the, the kids there, it meant nothing to them. Even those of us who were Christians, it very often didn't mean very much to us either. But I was astounded when I read the psalm how much of a hymn that I remembered from some of the terms in this psalm. Glorious things of thee are spoken, Zion city of our God. He whose words could not be broken formed thee for his own abode. On the rock of ages founded. None can shake your sure repose. With salvation's walls surrounded, thou mayst smile at all thy foes. See the streams of living water flowing from eternal love. Well supply thy sons and daughters and all fear of want remove. Who can faint while such a river ever flows their thirst to a sage? Grace, which like the Lord its giver, never fails from age to age. Saviour, since of Zion city, I, through grace, a member am. Let the world deride or pity. I will glory in your name. Fading is the worldling's pleasure. All is boasted pomp and show. Solid joys and lasting treasures. None but Zion's children know. Wow. At one level, 
At one level, it reminds us how important the lyrics that we sing are, because they stay with us. They stay with us. And those words which were written in Victorian English, actually pre-Victorian English, those are the words of John Newton. John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace that we just sang earlier, the former slave trader, they are his words. Uh, he was a poet as well. And uh, although they were written in Old English, um, they stuck with me. And I suddenly realized they're based on this psalm. More of that later. At our World Assembly, I was talking to uh, a couple of you earlier on, uh, Drew and Simone, I think it was, about uh, our World Assembly in South Africa in 2019. And it was an organizational disaster. <laughs> uh, lots of things went wrong. And on one evening, I asked the, the guys who were behind the reception welcome desk just to go to bed, and I would look after the final bus load. We had lots of problems with the accommodation. And they said, OK, Monty, here are the 12 people who are on the final bus from the airport. This was at 1 in the morning. When they come in, these are their names, these are the countries they're from, and these are their room numbers, and those are their keys. I says, I'll do that, because you guys have to be up at 6, so I, you know, I'll do the last one. So I sat there at the reception desk, and uh, at about 2 or 10 to 2 in the morning, bus arrives, these guys get out, they line up, I say to the first guy, what's your name? Gives me his name. Where are you from? Togo. Name again? Country? He wasn't on the list. Mm. 10 to 2 in the morning, I've got this guy from Togo, and I have no room for him. He wasn't on the list. Something went wrong. And I don't know if you've ever had that fear. You know, it happened to me twice this year already, where I was going around Europe with, with IFES. I arrive at the little hotel or motel, and uh, I give my name... And they say, sorry, sir, we don't have that reservation. <laughs> Twice in one week. If you're ever booking with Expedia, be warned. <laughs> Double check. Okay? And uh, on the first occasion, it was fine. They had a room. On the second occasion, they didn't have a room. And that was more interesting. Um, so it's just that, I mean, I still have that feeling. You, know, you go to a theater, a ticket-only event, and uh, you go up, and uh, you're thinking, what if my name is not on the list. What happens? Psalm 87, as I said, is not easy to understand. Actually, in the Hebrew, it's very difficult, which is why translations uh, can, can struggle a little. It's full of staccato phrases. It's more like a football chant, or maybe even a rap. So literally, in the Hebrew, it reads something like... Uh, his foundations on the mountains, Yahweh love, the gates of Zion, this one born there, that one too born there. It's not easy to explain. It's more atmospheric. Uh, it's uh, a repetitive chant to get the main points across. So what are those main points? Do you know I've got my first slide up there? First of all, I, I thought this was... Uh, uh, yeah, so this is, just what, this is just my title. I thought this was good from the psalm. Followers of the risen Christ, citizens of the eternal city, members of his missional church. That's for you guys today and as you go forward. So if you look at the next slide, I think that the first thing that we want to look at is the first three verses where there is restoration. It's, they're verses of faith and hope. There is light in the darkness, but it's very cryptic. The Psalms are divided into five books, and 73 to 89 is book three. So this is there in book three, and book three is known as the dark book. 
It's where you get a lot of the psalms of lament, of crying out to God. Uh, you know, 70, 74 um, is a psalm, or 73 itself, the one that begins, you know, talks about, uh, you know, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my, my foothold. Psalm 74, God, why have you rejected us forever? And though immediately after this psalm, in Psalm 88, it's the only psalm where you don't really find any light at all. In fact, the last words of Psalm 88 is, darkness is my closest friend. Darkness is my closest friend. A good friend of mine and Sharon's, Mark Menel of Langham, has written an excellent book with that title on the Christian and depression. But it's a dark book. They, lead, they deal with a time when Jerusalem was destroyed, when the temple had gone. And yet here in the middle, immediately before this dark psalm, you get a statement that says, glorious things are said of you. Doesn't seem very glorious. In Psalm 87, it seems that the people of God and their city, their reputation is intact. Everybody wants to be there. And the message uh, version of this psalm, it says, words getting out. We want to be there. Psalm 87 is a prophetic psalm that holds on to the promises of God in the midst of the darkness to restore his people. And through the lens of the New Testament, we see the vision of this psalm is a vision of a people of God, the church, the new temple. We know that from 1 Corinthians 3. We are being built into God's temple. God's spirit dwells within us. Ephesians 2.22, the church is the whole building that is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Until in Revelation 21, we are God's city, the population of the new Jerusalem. One of the classics of Christian literature, uh, the, the very early Christian literature, was St. Augustine's The City of God. He wrote it in response to the destruction of Rome, his city, by the Visigoths. And the accusation was that Rome had been destroyed because of Christianity, because the people had deserted their traditional gods. And Augustine wrote this book because he wanted to warn young Christians against presuming that God was on the side of any one political system or city. He made an important distinction between the earthly cities that come and go and rise and fall and the city of God. The church was the city of God, the embryo of the eternal city of heaven. Now, of course, this led to abuse as time went by with one particular form of church assuming itself to be the only church, the only one with the right to be called the city of God. In Augustine's time, it was uh, the uh, embryonic universal church, which became the Catholic church. But other churches have been guilty of the same over the centuries. This psalm is a short reminder that God had a purpose for his people. As the worshippers looked around at the ruins of their city, maybe from afar, maybe from exile, we don't know, but as they looked at a ruined city in the middle of these dark psalms, they were suddenly told that it's going to have a great future, but a future way beyond their understanding. In prophetic terms, the psalmist, as we will see, reminds them that one day, the city that God loves will be renowned throughout the earth. 
It will be populated by people from around the world. It's a psalm of faith and great hope. As we look around this afternoon at, at our church, what do we see? Maybe today it's a little easier to see the glorious things as we are self-consciously celebrating, thinking back to what God has done here in and through you. We have a sense of God expanding his reach to draw others maybe into the, to the new plant and into this service. But I'm sure there are days that when we look around, what we see are broken lives, struggles, even ruins, ruined hopes, ruined marriages, ruined careers, ruined relationships, ruined personalities. Nothing very glorious spoken about us at times. And globally, there are times there's nothing very glorious spoken about the church. Any wonder? We are maybe the Israelites in exile. How can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? Well, right in the middle of the Psalms, immediately before the darkest Psalm of the book, we have the prophetic reminder that God has a purpose. Glorious things will be spoken of you. How do we know? Well, look at the verbs in verse 1. He has founded it, and he loves it with a great love. Nothing can shake what has been founded or established by God, and nothing can ruin what is loved by God. If we fear at how the church is being culturally marginalized or pressured or misrepresented, or if we mourn at how Christians themselves bring discredit on God and we fear for the future of the church or the future of our faith, let us not forget this. Nothing can shake what has been founded by God and nothing can ruin what is loved by God. He will restore. And then in verses 3 and 4, there is reconciliation. The psalmist lists nations far away, Cush, or nearby, Tyre, mainly the traditional enemies of Israel, Rahab is Egypt, Babylon, Philistia, Tyre. But unlike the oracles against these nations that you find in Jeremiah or Nahum or the other prophets, this psalm looks further ahead. Jeremiah and Nahum and the others prophesied the destruction of these peoples, these empires, which did happen just as all empires fall away when they start glorifying themselves. But this psalm pictures a further horizon when these people, the remainder and the descendants of these people, will join the people of God. It's the image of Isaiah 2 and Micah 4. All the nations streaming towards Zion to walk in the ways of the Lord. It's the image of those fierce and hated enemies being counted as gods. The image of Ephesians chapter 2 of the dividing wall of hostility being torn down. Of those who were once not a people now being the people of God. It's the image of Revelation 7 of representatives of every tribe and tongue assembling in heaven. It's yet another one of those many, many biblical texts, and there are so many that it makes my heart break when I see Christians and Christian churches being so unchristian and forgetting most of the 
whole thrust of Scripture because, because this is one of the many texts that undermines any form of so-called Christian nationalism. There's nothing about the gospel that encourages the exaltation of one nation over another or the making great again of one nation over another. In fact, that's the antithesis of the gospel. Yes, the nations retain their identity. Tyre is still Tyre. Cush is still Cush. They're recorded by their names. The nations in Revelation 7 are still nations, but there is a unity, a harmony, a togetherness, enemies reconciled in Christ for eternity. How is that possible? Because their names are on the list. Our names are on the list. That's a central point of the psalm. Three times in three verses in this short psalm, we get the repeated phrase, born there. Repeated and repeated again, born there. The message again boldly gives it a correct theological interpretation. It says, they were born again there. There is regeneration. This image of God's register is carried through the New Testament. Verses 5 and 6 are verses of regeneration. When the disciples come back after their debut mission trip in Luke chapter 10, Jesus says, Don't rejoice that the Spirit submit to you, but rejoice rather that your names are written in heaven. In Philippians 4, Paul pleads with two women in the church to agree and to stop fighting because their names are written in the book of life. In Hebrews 12, speaking of you and me, the church, the writer says, but you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. It's a fulfillment of the psalm. Several times in Revelation, we read of the Lamb's book of life, culminating in chapter 21. We read of the city of God, and we read, On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. For those of us who know Christ, there should be no fear of arriving and finding that we're not on the list. When we turn to Christ for salvation and forgiveness, it was as if we clicked or subscribe on the membership page of Heaven's website. We're in the book. Actually, it's better than a book. Another old hymn. My name from the palms of his hands, eternity will not erase. Impressed on his heart it remains in marks of indelible grace. It's not a direct quote from Scripture, but it captures the theology of Scripture in the same way as this hymn that you probably know a little bit better. My name is written on his hands. My name is hidden in his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no power can force me to depart. 
The people of Israel understood perfectly well the importance of having your name in a book. At the end of Nehemiah, you read of those who were allowed to be part of the community of the rebuilt Jerusalem, that they had to prove their lineage. They had to prove that their family's names were in the record. But this psalm looks forward to the day when that's not going to be important anymore. Where it doesn't matter where you come from, what race you are, what language you speak, what your nation has done or hasn't done in the past, whether you are Arab or Jew, Ukrainian or Russian, you can be counted as one of the children of Zion, one of the family of the body of Christ. I see that daily in my work with IFES. Serbians and Albanians, Russians and Ukrainians, Israeli and Palestinian, Irish and British, together, sisters and brothers. You can see it here on a local level, in a community like this, different backgrounds, different nations, brothers and sisters together because we've all been born in Zion, born again in Christ. So how do we respond to this restoration, this reconciliation, this regeneration? We do it by rejoicing, that final verse. As they make music, literally in the Hebrew, it is really as they dance. Maybe the NIV translators don't like dancing very much, I don't know. But it's really as they dance and they will sing. And what do they sing? All my fountains are in you. What a strange phrase. The psalm continues to surprise us. The lyrics maybe aren't what we would expect, but they are picking up another very rich biblical theme, Old Testament and New Testament. Psalm 68 talks about a procession of musicians and dancers, and they sing, O Lord, you are Israel's fountain. Psalm 36 calls the Lord the fountain of life. Isaiah 12 says that God's people will draw water from the wells of salvation. And of course, the New Testament picks this up. To the woman at the well in John 4, Christ promises living water that will stop us thirsting ever again. There's something about thirst, isn't it, that is the most basic human need, the basic sign of our finitude, of our humanity, of our weakness. There's also, of course, hunger and rest and sleep. But above all, we can survive less time without water. Or that thirsting, it's almost a metaphor of the fact that this world is not enough. We need to be quenched. And Jesus says, are you thirsty? Come to me. I will be your fountain. And John 7, he invites people to come so that streams of living water will flow out from them. Referring, says John, to the Holy Spirit. In the final chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, how does it begin? Because we get a fuller vision here of this eternal city. And the opening words are this. The angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. And on each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. The healing of Rahab and Babylon, of Tyre and Philistia, 
of Iran and Iraq, of Afghanistan and America, of Ireland, healed, healed through the tree of life fed by the river of life flowing down the middle of the city. You visualize this church of Jesus Christ here as if there is a river just flowing down the middle of your fellowship, nourishing it. He's the source of all life. All our fountains are in him, shout the singers and the dancers. We draw life from nowhere else. Friends, we are the city of God. Our names are on the register. His river runs through us. Will people speak of you? As the psalmist says, they will speak of Zion. What is spoken of you, Christ City Church? What will be spoken of you, City of God? City Church of God. I will record... Sandyford and Stillorgan, among those who acknowledge you. Crumlin too and Stony Batter. Leopard's Town and the Liberties. Portobello and Ballsbridge. Even Belfast and Tyrone. They will say, this one was born again in you. The psalm reminds us of who we are. And as we remain faithful to that calling, we will be secure in that identity. So let me bless you. Let me bless you again. And maybe the words will come alive a little bit more now that we've looked at this psalm with the words of John Newton. Glorious things of you are spoken, Zion city of our God. He whose word cannot be broken formed you for his own abode. On the rock of ages standing, what can shake your sure repose with salvation's walls surrounding? You can smile at all your foes. See the streams of living water flowing from eternal love well supply its sons and daughters and all fear of want remove. Who can faint while such a river ever flows your thirst to a sage? Grace, which like the Lord the giver, never fails from age to age. Saviour, since of Zion City I, through grace a member am, let the world deride or pity. I will glory in your name. Fading is the worldling's pleasure. All is boasted pomp and show. Solid joys and lasting treasures. None but Zion's children know. May the Lord bless you, not just this week and this year, but in the years to come. Amen.